and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday, everybody. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. And we haven't done it. In a while, Steve. We haven't had live and local sports talk on a weekend in it's a while. It's good to see you, Mitch. Good to see you, too. What What did I miss? Because <laughs> I, I think I've been the one that's been gone a bunch. Well, it, it was weird. I, was it last week or the week before? It was one of those weird weeks where you're between the NFL preseason and the regular season, so there's no NFL games to talk about. Okay. Uh, obviously, the Suns haven't started. I think that's like five weeks away now. We're getting close. Um, I think I saw the Suns tweeted out five Saturdays from now. They'd... They do that thing that a lot of people handle Christmas the same way. It's we're five Sundays from Christmas. Right, yeah. So I think we were just mostly talking baseball last week uh, was what we were reacting to. But plenty of football to go through today. We'll get to some baseball as well. I want to touch on this to start. And I was thinking through my brain, what do I want to start with? What do I want to lead with? What's the most important thing that I can hit on? And it has to do with the Phoenix Suns, Steve. Really? Good friend of the show, good friend of the station, and just overall great man, John Bloom was officially named the voice to succeed Al McCoy as the Suns this year. You know, I actually, one of the first things I did in my career in radio was answering the phones for John on his post-game shows. Mm-hmm. And there were so many nights where John and I would be in here really, really late. And people would, and, and this was during an era, 10 years ago, think back, this is probably like... Not that great of Suns basketball going on. We're probably talking like the Jeff Hornacek years as coach. Um, so some not great times. There was that one good season that was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there were so many nights where we were in here taking calls from people and it wasn't the most exciting team. So for him to be taking over now for Al McCoy, the, the legend, and to do it now when there's Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker is, you know, one of the biggest stars in the league now. It's unbelievable. John's an even more unbelievable person than he is the great broadcaster that he is in his own right. So, uh, yeah, huge props to John Bloom. Huge inspiration Love to me, too. Guy. Somebody who stuck with it. I think he's been with the organization since 08. 15 years. And we're now in 23, and he's finally getting that job that he's always wanted. It's incredible to see. Very deserving. So I wanted to shout out John Bloom before we start today's show. And there's a lot to get into. It is, this is a as heavy a weekend for Arizona sports as we're going to have at least right now, it'll get heavier as the weeks go on and depending how the Diamondbacks do. But you've got Diamondbacks against the Cubs this weekend. You've got ASU facing Fresno State tonight. And then tomorrow, you have the first home game in the Jonathan Gannon era for the Arizona Cardinals. And if we think about what we saw, or rather what we did not see against the Commanders one week ago, I think you and I agree, Steve, that the number one thing we want to see improve is offense. And points scored on offense. Yeah, and a lot of this comes back to the quarterback discussion, right? Josh Dobbs got 100% of the snaps on the offense last week. I think that didn't surprise me. Probably didn't surprise you. Um, So the question now is just if this team continues to not have any offensive touchdowns the way that they didn't in their last game. I mean, the leading scorers in that game were Matt Prater, which makes sense. He's the kicker. And right. Cam Thomas. <laughs> so Who that's scored the really only touchdown. Got. And uh, yeah, so if they don't have touchdowns in the first half, I'm wondering, do you pull the trigger and have a kind of short leash and see what Clayton Toon can give you if Josh Dobbs doesn't do it? But the problem is, uh, the thing is, the coaching staff this week made it very clear that they were impressed with Josh Dobbs, that he handled things the way they wanted them handled. Yes. It just didn't result in any touchdowns. So I don't think they're disappointed with him to the point where they would 
pull him like that. I think that you're going to see Josh Dobbs for the majority, if not the entire second game. I mean, to your point, here's Coach Gannon yesterday. Yeah, he had a good week of practice. He's ready to go. We got a big day today, like I said, but um, I thought that uh, he, he practiced extremely well. Doesn't sound like a guy that's going to be immediately replacing the quarterback that it seems like this organization wanted for a while. This kind of gets lost in the shuffle, though. Kyler Murray is the Cardinals quarterback. Oh, yeah. He's not the Cardinals quarterback right now. But I'm I think there, there, I felt like early on there was some confusion and uproar about who was going to be the starter for the Cardinals week one between Toon and Dobbs and it got even hairier when they cut Colt McCoy. I don't really think it all that much matters. They're trying to put themselves in a position to win, to compete. I understand that. But do we really care all that much who the backup quarterback is between Josh Dobbs and Colt McCoy or not Colt McCoy, Clayton Toon. Both of them uh, are young, no, inexperienced. No, it's it's just a matter of because you don't know how long that you're filling in. Sure. You don't know when Kyler's coming back. I mean, the the general consensus seems to be week seven through 10 would make some sense. That's kind of midseason. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't think it matters all that much. I don't think there's a huge difference between the two. Josh has been in the league a lot longer, obviously. Clayton is still a rookie. Um, but in you, uh, you and I have talked about this at length in comparison of uh, McCoy and Toon. Mm-hmm. So just take McCoy out of the equation and put Dobbs in, and I think it's a similar conversation. I always thought Toon had a higher ceiling because we just don't know what he is yet. Yeah. We just haven't seen it. Uh, whereas with Dobbs, I feel pretty comfortable that I know what he is watching the game last week. I thought he had some very athletic moments. I thought he had some nice throws. Um, I thought the offense could have been more vertical and it's interesting going back through the snap counts. Michael Wilson was on the field more than any other receiver, including Hollywood Brown. And you would think he'd be a deep threat option given his size. He's the size. Yeah. Yeah, and and Hollywood Brown being on the field 84% of the time, I I would think that he would get a lot of the shot plays. Rondale Moore did end up getting uh, at least one really long one that I remember. Um, So I think we all kind of want to just see the Cardinals be more vertical and do less of what we saw from Cliff King. It just felt like it was a lot of that same ideology with Dobbs. And maybe this is different if they do have Clayton Toon in there, because we saw in the preseason, Clayton Toon was not afraid to take shots deep. Clayton Toon was not afraid to go for it on those on those go routes and those deep balls. He wasn't afraid to try and get those massive chunk plays in one air yard throw. Wasn't a lot of that to your point last week. There were big plays that they had, but it was Marquise Brown catching a slant or it was Rondale Moore on an end around. Like, yeah, it's it's not the kind of big plays that we want them to execute. And granted, Josh Dobbs was defending it earlier this week when he was speaking with the media. And he said that sometimes you just kind of have to do it based off of what the defense is showing you. Each game, each game plan, um, you know, it just depends, right? What's the defense doing, doing, giving us what looks? Are they giving us the look to take to take and throw it down the field? And if they're not, you know, as a quarterback, I have to be smart with the ball and understand that, you know, patience is a virtue and those looks will come. And when they do come, as I've said, you know, we have to take advantage of them. So um, there'll be opportunities, you know, and we're going to get our guys singled up down the field. And when we get those looks, we have to execute and take advantage of those opportunities. And this could go both ways against this Giants defense, which, granted, didn't have the best first week of the season. No. I mean, you look at the scoreboard, I don't need to say anymore. But they have a fantastic defensive front with Kayvon Thibodeau and Dexter Lawrence, two of the better defensive linemen in the league. They have a lot of trust in some young defensive backs. I think two rookies playing on the outside leading this defense. 
Would it create an advantage for you to be able to have those deep shot opportunities testing the rookies? Or are you going to be left no choice when Dexter Lawrence or Kayvon Thibodeau is barreling towards you in the pocket? Well, that's the thing, right? It's about creating time. And part of the reason I love that answer from Josh Dobbs, by the way, because it's very smart. It's very educated. It's it's well, he's a rocket scientist. It's, it's what do you obvious. expect? <laughs> Every quarterback in the league knows what he just said. He's just able to articulate it to people like us who are watching and we're like, why aren't we throwing the ball far? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a really dumbed down way of saying it. Um, but here's another factor. When you have a brand new quarterback like Josh Dobbs, who's only been here in Arizona for what, two weeks now? Part of it, too, is probably trying to build confidence. And that's not to say like, hey, let's throw a couple to the running back so that we can just get some easy completions. But there is something to that. And it's easier to get your rhythm under you when you're creating those short plays to then open up the game for the long play. And so I wonder if what we saw last week was them trying to get Josh Dobbs comfortable in the offense before we start really airing it out. He's right. You got to take what the defense can give you. Um, but last week, really all they gave you was the short stuff and the, the horizontal plays. So what was it? It was six practices leading up to that week one game. What is an extra Not five? Not a lot. What is an extra five practices going to change? Um, in all honesty. It, it can go a ways in building chemistry with teammates. Sure. But um, does that produce what we want to see offensively? Well, that or is this just going to be another long week where we're wondering, all right, this Cardinals offense still can't get it going. You were worried earlier in the week because James Conner was limited throughout, but he was a full participant yesterday, so maybe they get the running game going again. Keontae Ingram had a really rough day on the ground. He was losing yards on most of his carries. Yeah, James Conner didn't have the best performance in terms of yardage. I thought Conner was good. Um, but offensive line-wise, I was really only impressed by Will Hernandez. The run blocking was not great by the offensive line. Pass blocking was pretty good. Run blocking, not so much. Yeah, so definitely still questionable on that left guard spot. I'm not sold on Wilkinson yet, and that doesn't mean that he can't be successful going into this next game or the next couple of weeks. Um, but when it comes to the offensive line, I, I do want to see more out of them. I feel James Conner was effective. They didn't give him a lot of room, and that's something that I'm looking forward to seeing if they can capitalize on this week. It's just tough because there's only one returner on the line. That's DJ Humphreys on the left. The other four guys are new for the most part, with Wilkinson and Froholt and Paris Johnson. They've got Kelvin Beecham as a second stringer behind Johnson on that right side. Yeah, Froholt didn't really grade out very well. Humphrey's surprisingly low grade out. Like, if you look at pro football focus, they had him as the second lowest starter on the offensive line. James Conner actually graded out really, really well. Wilkinson, really bad. Froholt, not good. Um, Hernandez was really the only one that did well. Oh, I was sorry, actually so impressed. Two returners then, my bad. I was impressed with uh, with Paris Johnson at times. I mean, there's a couple of runs where he he took his guy all the way to the sideline yeah. on a few plays, and I'm always impressed by that. But yeah, I just want to see some level of consistency there. It didn't really give them a lot of opportunities to succeed in the run game. If my money was on any player to score this week, it would probably be James Conner. I think it was funny... I Eric brought it up yesterday during the Burns and Gambo show. Uh, our friends at FanDuel, they have odds for anytime touchdown, I believe, is the uh, bet that you can make. Sure. The highest odds, I think, was Barkley. The second highest odds was no touchdown. <laughs> Ouch. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, listen. We, or second we, shortest. You we talked about it all week long, right? This is the matchup of two teams who did not score offensive touchdowns last week. Correct. No Barkley. No Connor. No Hollywood Brown, no Darren Waller. None of them scored last week. 
And so, in a lot of ways, going into this game, this is probably the most, uh, the least entertaining game on paper in the NFL this week because neither of these offenses have made it into the end zone. There's plenty of other least entertaining games. You see the Saints and the Panthers are playing on Monday night, on a Monday night doubleheader, no I less. Oh man, that's a number one pick. I'm entertained by it that. didn't look all that great in his first game. His touchdown, oh, there was one touchdown pass that I saw that was really impressive, but other than that. We'll see how it goes. Cardinals, Giants this weekend. It's a 105 kick from State Farm Stadium. We'll, of course, have all the pregame coverage and the game here on 98.7, the Arizona Sports app. And I believe those are the two places you can hear it for free. Coming up next, huge, huge win for the Diamondbacks last night. Where does that put them in this wild card race? We'll talk about it next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, let me hit you with some breaking news. No sounder necessary. No, no sounder necessary. This isn't that big a deal. A.J. Green is retiring from the NFL, so he signed a one-day contract with the Arizona Cardinals. No, No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Signed a one-day with the uh, Bengals. Good for him. Would anybody be offended by that? I wouldn't. No. He was fantastic with the Bengals. Didn't do a lot with the Cardinals. Everybody remembers him because he turned around. Didn't turn around. That's what I mean. Didn't turn around in the end zone. Green Bay game against Roswell Douglas. That's literally everything that is remembered about A.J. Green. Who had just come off the Cardinals practice squad. Roswell Douglas. Um, I bring this up, too, because it actually plays in pretty well. I saw also signing a one-day contract to retire was Adam Jones, former D-back, Signing a one-day contract with AJ. the Diamond. No, I'm just kidding. With the Orioles. All right, will you stop? <laughs> Enough out of you. I just wish for once we had a guy who wanted to sign a one-day contract with a Valley team. He missed you. He's trying to be silly now. <sighs> I know. He's being too silly, Trev. That's You're what he's being. Off the wall. Who is... Okay, here's a good question for the room. Okay. Who is the next Arizona former Arizona athlete that will sign a one-day contract I, with a Valley team I know to retire? I know with a Valley team? Yes, with an Arizona oh, okay. Valley team. I thought you were going to turn it the other way. Like, who is that guy for us? Somebody who played here, left, went to another team, retired, and they should do a one-day contract. Goldie? I think Goldie's the one. But would Goldie want to do that? He's not the fanfare guy. What if Goldie plays another a whole nother contract out in St. Louis, and he's still really good for like six more years. He's got a decade in St. Louis. Now, see, he's I got thought, an MVP in St. Louis. Now, see, I thought you were going to ask that question the other way, which is who's a guy that came to Arizona at the end, but then's now going to sign a one day contract with the prior team. Oh, I thought that's like how these you, guys. I thought that's how you were going to set it up, no, and no, I would have no. said JJ Watt. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. Houston. That he'll do that. But if you're asking who's going to come back to Arizona and sign a one day, like Goldie's the closest one. I, well, see, the thing is, too, not every player does this, right? Like no. JJ Watt has already retired, as far as I'm well, concerned. So the reason that most I don't know that the, he needs to sign a one day with Texans. The reason that most of these guys do that is because they haven't retired, right? Like Adam, Larry Fitzgerald is still active. Adam right? Jones went to Japan to keep his baseball career alive. He didn't retire from MLB. He was just available. Right. And now he's, you know, in his later 30s and he's looking at it and saying, you know what? I've had a good. Go back to Baltimore, retire, call it good. Did Miguel Montero do the one day thing? I don't know. He came back to work for the organization, but I don't know if he did the one day. Still work for AZ? I thought he did. I could be wrong about that. 
If you know it, tweet us. At there's Steve not a lot of like big names that like there's not a lot of big names that left the Suns recently that are still active. Like Amari's already retired. They're putting him in the ring this year. Yeah, and that's the next closest. Nash thing. is Nash is in the ring. He he's gone. Marion's going into the ring. Yeah, those guys are a while ago. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it is Goldie. There's not a lot of Cardinals that left. I mean, Patrick Peterson? No. I'm sorry. I feel that, like there's too much animosity that, between him and the organization and the fans. That ship has sailed. I'm sorry. That might be 10 years down the road. Maybe. When it's like a different That's gonna be leadership regime though. or something. I don't know. To figure out the temperature in the room for Patrick Peterson and if the fan base would want him. It's okay. He apologized on the 16th hole. <laughs> yeah, right. At least we have that. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, by the way. Sitting pretty in a playoff spot right Very now. Very pretty after last night. They're in the third wild card spot right now, tied with the Cincinnati Reds at 77 and 72. They're half a game up on Miami. Can I interrupt you real quick? Sorry. Go for it. The Reds could beat the Mets in New York. <laughs> Why couldn't the Diamondbacks? All right, that's it. Go ahead. Well, there's an argument to be made that the Reds are better than the Diamondbacks. The Reds hold the tiebreaker over Arizona. Sure. My understanding, by the it's way, the is head-to-head thing. the Reds and the Marlins and maybe San Francisco currently hold tiebreakers over the car, over the Diamondbacks. I think, so if they, th- I think all three of them do. So if they tie with Arizona for that third wild card, Arizona's out. So you don't just have to be as good as those teams. You have to be better yeah. in the end. Now, you do still get two games against San Francisco coming up this week. Giants have the edge in that one. Which I think... So if you're the Diamondbacks, you have to win both. Right. I think you have to sweep them in that two-game series. Yes. In order to gain the tiebreaker over them. I mean, you have to win both if you want to feel confident about your playoff chances to begin with. But you have to win both if you want to secure that tiebreaker. Yeah, you also get three games against the Cubs, who you just finished a four-game series against. You've won three out of the four. Got one already last night. The Cubs are a game and a half up on the Diamondbacks for the second wildcard spot. So it's not out of the question for the D-backs to slip up into that two spot. You think a sweep is possible? They got past the toughest pitcher they're going to face this weekend. It's more, it's more than possible. I mean, they had a strong showing against the Cubs last week. I think In it's their home possible. turf, too. Yeah, in Wrigley. Even with an in offense. daytime baseball. Even with an offense that looked rather anemic yeah. in most of that series. I mean, Zach Gallen had a nail-biter one nothing win, and the only run was scored on, what was it, a, a single that was initially ruled an out, but then was overturned to be a single? Like, they won on a replay review. How often does that happen? Not often. That's the thing, though, about Gallon is three of the last four starts have really been pretty rough for him. Now, the one good start you're talking about, it's a nine-inning complete game shutout. So, I mean, that is what it is. The other three around those, though, have not been good at all. All. Yeah, I mean, the first two were the worst two-game stretch he's had all season, and, and then there's the one he had the other night. So you really need Zach Allen to turn it on at this time of the season if you're planning on being a playoff team and going into the playoffs. Now, also, too, it's going to be interesting to see how their uh, rotation stacks up for the end of the year because as it's currently set, mm-hmm. you're going to have Gallon again on Tuesday against San Francisco. And then Kelly the next day. That's huge. And then Kelly the next day. Then you're going to have Gallon again on Monday, September 25th in Chicago for the White Sox. Then Kelly the next day. Then let's count out three spots for other guys. That leaves Zach Gallon pitching the last game of the year in Houston, uh, versus Houston at Chase Field on Sunday, October 1st. Which likely makes him unavailable for a game one, maybe even a game two of a three-game wild card do-or-die series. 
years ago, I read Tony LaRusa. Well, I think he's got multiple books, but I read one of his books about the 2011 Cardinals World Series, right? Mm-hmm. And in it, uh, if you remember back to that team, they had one really good starting pitcher, Chris Carpenter. Much better than all the rest. They had a couple other guys. Kyle Loge, I think, was on that team. They had dudes that filled uh, the spots. Yeah, but it was Chris Carpenter's rotation, right? Yes. And I remember Tony LaRusso wrote in the book that around the All-Star break, you know, usually you give a couple guys a day off, and then you try to pitch your best guy the day after the All-Star break so that you can get as many starts as possible from him. Mm-hmm. He said, no, 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 no. That's not what I did. I scheduled backwards. I went to the last game of the year and I said, we're we're not a great team. We're a good team. I think we're going to need the last game of the year. So I'm going to put Chris Carpenter in that spot. And then I'm going to work backwards. And every five days, I'll pencil in Chris Carpenter. If that means I get one or two less starts from him over the second half of the year, so be it. But at least I know I'll have my best guy on the last day of the year. But what does that do? That sets you up that you will not have Zach Gallen for game one of a potential wildcard series. You only get three games, and if he's not available for one, you better hope he's at least he'd, available for two. He'd have to go for two. Now, granted, if it's a three-game series, right? Like I, you shrink the rotation in the playoffs anyway. How so important? You're not getting two starts out of him. Likelihood is is that Kelly Gallon fought, and then there's a wild card between Davies and I'm blanking on who Ryan Nelson. If right. you if you flip or flop between those two as your four, you've got a pretty solid three. You definitely have a solid two. It's just that solid two, their previous showings, were not great who do you at like, all. Who do you like most as the third in a playoff rotation? Between Brandon Fott, Zach Davies, Ryan Nelson. I like Fott. I think I do too. I think Fott's the only issue is that he keeps giving up home runs. I know. It's the upside, though. Like, oh, I'm still so waiting up. for it to he, totally click. He shut out the Cubs last night. Yeah. Like, what more could you ask for the guy? Uh, maybe a few more innings and a few more pitches, <clears throat> Tory. He's but, gotten a lot better. Yeah. Five and a third, four hits, a walk, and six Ks last night against one of the more hot teams in baseball in the second half. Could you Not imagine that, of late, but if if Gallon ends up pitching that last game there, and by the way, they could do a bullpen game somewhere that screws up this order. Sure. They could do uh, they could skip of, a spot in the rotation. All sorts of stuff can happen. Yeah. So it's not like this is set in stone, but could you imagine a scenario where Gallon's not available for game one or two? <sighs> you better win that first game. Period. Like, no, I'm I'm serious. If you if you don't have Gallon available for game one, you better win that first game. Because you can't guarantee that he's available for two. And you don't want your back against the wall on the road, potentially on the road, I should say, against a team that has had momentum going their way in the postseason or in the closing stretch of the regular season. Because the Diamondbacks have not had that momentum so far to close the season. Three out of four against the Cubs is great. One out of four against the Mets, nah, not acceptable. Coming up next, we'll tee up with all the biggest games, all the biggest storylines around the NFL is next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve go around the NFL on Arizona Sports Saturday. It's back. One of our favorite staples during the football season. We go around the NFL. We don't predict games around here, though. We just look at some of the big ones that you want to pay attention to here in Arizona. And we tell you why you got to pay attention to these NFL games here in week two. So in case you missed it, Thursday night, Eagles looking like the Super Bowl champs again or the Super Bowl runner-ups again. I don't know. 
But they beat the Vikings 34-28 to go 2-0 on the year. Vikings now 0-2. That was a... That was an interesting one to watch on Thursday. I don't know about you, but here are the big ones that you got to pay attention to this weekend. We'll start in Ohio. The Baltimore Ravens taking on the Cincinnati Bengals, a Bengals team that looked very rough in week one against the Ravens team that I don't even know who's left on this roster after week one. After becoming the most expensive player in the NFL, Joe Burrow looked more like Joey Burrow. He looked, he looked, damn. Joseph, er. Yeah, just, I, I don't know. Something about the Bengals just didn't click in week one. I anticipate it will be better in week two. As far as the Ravens go, losing J.K. Dobbins, you could probably argue isn't the biggest deal because they've always lost J.K. Dobbins. He always uh, seems to get it hurt. It still stinks. But it stinks, man. And I, I just have so much confidence in their running game, and then they lose their lead back. It feels like this happens every year, yep. and I feel for them for that reason. But I do think the Bengals will get back on track. I think they win this game. Looking at the next one, how about a uh, divisional foe who a lot of people were very high on? In the Seattle Seahawks, after they surprised many last year, they're 0-1 to start the year. Now they're in Detroit taking on the Lions. We watch the Lions in my house. My girlfriend's from Michigan, so we end up watching the Lions. I watched a lot of their games last season. I love this Lions team. They're fun. I honestly think that Amon Ross St. Brown is like the West Welker, West Welker of the league right now. Oh, he's just like a high volume receiver. Jared Goff just doesn't turn the ball over very much. Um, for that reason, I like the Lions a lot. Seattle's got an arsenal of wide receivers, though. And Geno Smith, he looked the part. So. An arsenal of wide receivers, and they had one touchdown last week. I'm still going to go with the Lions. I actually believe in Dan Campbell a lot. I, I think the high on this Lions team is justified. That win over the Chiefs is huge. People may want to throw an asterisk next to it, Mike Tirico. But Get out of here with a asterisk. win's a win, especially against the defending Super Bowl champs. Speaking of... On the road in Jacksonville are the defending Super Bowl champs and in danger of going 0-2 to start the year against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, but it sounds like Travis Kelsey's back. It sounds like Chris Jones is back. Those are official, by Those the way. are huge, huge additions. Uh, one of them's dating Taylor Swift, apparently, so that's big news. <laughs> no, they're just talking. Oh, they're, they're, just they're talking. quietly hanging out, whatever that means. <laughs> uh, quietly, because she has to save her voice for the 40 songs that she has to do no every kidding. day. Uh, yeah, no, I think the Chiefs will get back on track here. This is a really interesting matchup of uh, a playoff, two playoff teams that faced each other last year. Um, I'm excited about this matchup, but I, I think, too, for the Jaguars, what I'm most interested in is the running game. Travis Etienne looked okay last week. I'd like to see more out of him and how the Jaguars' offense develops over he time. He still seems to be that guy in Jacksonville where you've got him, you've got Trevor Lawrence. The addition of Calvin Ridley paid immediate dividends in their game against the Colts last week. He had 100 yards. It'll be interesting to see how it carries over. Speaking of the Colts, wow, this is just parlaying perfectly so far. The reason you want to pay attention to Colts-Texans is not because it's two teams with two rookie quarterbacks, but of course it's because the Texans' first-round pick belongs to the Cardinals. And I'll set you up here, Steve. C.J. Stroud is questionable going into this one. Who's the backup in Houston? Davis Mills, I believe. Yeah, Ah, good. He's the reason they ended up picking very high in the draft. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, listen, if there's no Stroud, then there's no reason for me to watch. That's just how I feel about this game. But if the Texans go 0-2, that sets up the Cardinals better for next year, does yeah, it not? but how many Cardinals fans are screen-watching for Texans games? I think that you're probably... screen-watching? Yeah, you're, you're probably checking to see how they do periodically throughout the season. I don't think Cardinals fans are sitting on the edge of their couch, highly anticipating watching the Houston Texan, Texans lose every week. Sure. I just don't think it elevates to that They do level. that with the Cardinals, though, right? Uh, 
Sorry, that was me. That was very mean. Maybe. With my crappy football team that I root for, I probably shouldn't have said that. But important to pass along, if the Texans don't have C.J. Stroud, probably sets up better for the Colts, which, which means it sets up better for the Cardinals at the end of the year. Going back to the division, this should be a barn burner. 49ers on the road in L.A. taking on the Rams. A Rams team that, with Puka Nakua... Shocked the world in week one. Yeah, they lost Cooper Cup, who we can all agree. I mean, maybe he's the Wes Welker of the NFL right now, to be honest. I, I, I'm just going to compare everybody to Wes Welker. Uh, Cooper Cup being out, they come up with the name Puka Nakua. Who's, by the way, never heard of that guy this week. Yeah, that's the thing, is if he doesn't play, and it's kind of sounding like he's not going to, for the second week in a row, we're left wondering who all the targets go to. Because he had 15 targets in week one. I tell you what, though, Stafford had no problem. 334 yards passing for Stafford last week. He looks healthy. He looks good. But it's also a Niners team that dropped 30-plus on Pittsburgh on the road last week. And then... The Niners are getting seven points in this one. The Niners have got to be one of the favorites for the Super NFC Bowl pick for the NFC. I would, I would think. think too. By yeah. the way, Brandon Ayuk, former ASU guy, two touchdowns last week. NFC Offensive Player of the Week as well. Shout out, forks up. Um, this one is interesting. There's multiple reasons in my opinion, but I think the standout reason being that one of them is missing their quarterback for the rest of the year. Jets going into Dallas to take on the Cowboys who shut out the New York Giants 40 to nothing the prior week. All right, we were live on KTAR News the other night when Aaron Rodgers carried the flag out onto the field on 9-11. It was so cool in New York. One of it's the great that, moments. It's that chills moment you Ten get, Ten minutes right? later, he was carted off the field. I have never seen momentum shift in a franchise so quickly. I know you and I haven't really had the chance to divulge into this whole right. Aaron Rodgers thing. Um, so yeah, it, it's all, it's 100% for the Jets. It's about how they react to not having Aaron Rodgers on the field. Uh, they've said it's Zach Wilson's team. They're going to ride or die with Zach Wilson. We'll see how that goes. The Cowboys, on the other hand, they put up as good of a game as you can against the New York Giants, who the Cardinals get this week. So putting up a, what was it, 40 to nothing? Yeah, and like half of it was split between the offense and the defense. Pollard had two touchdowns, but the real story for Dallas was that defense. Are they going to perform to that level again? Yeah, I'm interested too. I always kind of thought the Jets would end up splitting carries a little bit more between uh, Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook. I just figured, why go get Dalvin Cook if you're not going to use him? Yeah. But Brees Hall had 127 yards on 10 carries last that's, week. That's, that's great insane. efficiency. Holy smokes. I mean, the biggest one was he had like an 84-yard rush or whatever it was, but man, that's... Every, everything's set up perfectly for the Jets this year. And then uh, the quarterback. That's a good team just with no quarterback. Yeah. Heard that a lot about a lot of teams, but the Jets almost exemplify that this year. And then Sunday night, this is the last two here. Sunday night, if I told you that between Tua Tungavailoa and Bill Belichick, one of them is undefeated against the other, who do you think that is, Steve? I mean, you would probably guess Bill Belichick. Tua is, the answer is Tua. four and O oh against Big Bill. Well, and you look at what happened last week. I mean, uh, I ended up suffering on my fantasy matchup because I was facing a guy who had Tua and Tyreek Hill. Oh, Ugh. Tua had 466 yards, three touchdown passes. Two of them went to Tyreek Hill, who had 11 catches for 215 yards. That's the best quarterback from last week, and the best receiver from last week are on the same team. And from a fantasy standpoint, Tua was number one, obviously. Yeah. Tyreek Hill was number three. Do you know who number two was? Puka Nakua. 
The Dallas Cowboys defense and special teams. Oh, yeah. Well, there is that. (laughs) They had two touchdowns. We don't have defenses in my fantasy league. It's kind of stupid. I have one league where we don't have defenses. It's also a a dynasty league, so you keep the same players year after year. Yeah. My my team's very top-heavy. I have, like, one good wide receiver, but who knows? I've got good quarterbacks. I'll take the Dolphins in that game, by the way. Make it 5-0 for two against Bill I think the Patriots bounce back. They they had a slight showing towards the end against the Eagles, and I think this week their offense already looks so much better than last year. I think it'll benefit them. I think Mac Jones doesn't get enough credit. Like no. statistically, he's actually pretty comparable with some of the better quarterbacks in the league. I think he was the QB two last week. He just hasn't won enough games yet in his career, right, to really be put in that upper echelon. All right, last one because this is always a fun divisional matchup to watch. Monday Night Football in Pittsburgh. The Cleveland Browns, who drubbed the Cincinnati Bengals in Week 1 against the Steelers, who reverse got drubbed by the Niners in Week 1. Yeah, honestly, there's just not much here for me to love. The Steelers, I'm not impressed with Kenny Pickett. That's one of those guys that I think in a year or two, we won't even be talking about him as a starter. Wow. I I really don't. Wow. I really don't. Would they tank for Caleb Williams? I, no, I don't think that they're, I mean, listen, they're certainly not, not planning on that. They would like to, we're in week two, they're 0-1. There's certainly still a chance that they could cut. I want to judge everything based off of one week, Steve. Um, as for the Browns, <laughs> as for my Brownies, uh, I was fairly impressed, I guess. Nick Chubb was regular Nick Chubb. He had another 100-yard game to add to his career. Uh, I think that the Browns probably try to run the ball down the Steelers' threats. Especially with, you know, the problems that the Steelers have on offense and defensively. They've got good players, but will it matter against the Browns team that could get the offense going? Who knows? By the way, the backup running back was impressive for the Browns, but that was because they were winning that game yeah. by enough that they just needed to run the ball a bunch. Jerome Ford, 15 carries. Uh, he only had 36 yards, but getting 15 touches when Nick Chubb is your lead back, that's difficult to do. That's our look around the NFL for week two. When we come back, we'll switch from pros to college. We got quarterback controversy in Tempe. We'll try to figure out if we do or not next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Yeah, Drew, Drew's healthy. Drew's uh, 100% or as close to 100% as you can be, if not 100%. Uh, Trenton's 100%. I mean, we, we've got... I'm excited for for what the future holds. Like I like I've said all along, we're gonna put we're gonna go to work every single week, and we're gonna get better. And like I told the team, the best teams get better towards the end of the season, and we're gonna be one of those teams that just continues to grow, continues to get better, continues to get better, continues to get better, and uh, who knows where we'll be when it all shakes up. Sun Devil head coach Kenny Dillingham this week talking about his quarterback situation. Notoriously, they brought in multiple options. Borgay was still around, a holdover from last year. Drew Pine comes in as a transfer from Notre Dame. Jaden Rashada transfers from, what was it, Florida? Well, not really a transfer. Well, the intention was for him to go to Florida and then... And then he chose not to. Chose ASU. Yeah. Right. It's, a, it's a whole story. We don't need to get into it. Right. So... They ended up going with Rashada, but Drew Pine got injured at the end of camp. Yes. So it's a fair question to ask what would have happened if Drew Pine wasn't injured. And he will be returning from injury, as as Coach just kind of laid out a little bit there. What do you do when all of a sudden you have to make that decision again? Because they went with Rashada for two weeks. He's looked 
fine, especially in first halves of games. Especially in first halves of games. Uh, but once Pine is back and ready to go, do you make that change? What does that do to the psyche of a player like Jaden Rashada, who we know has all the, you know, he's got the stars from his recruiting days, and we know that he's got the potential. Uh, we've certainly seen some incredible talent on the field at times. But either one of these guys is going to need time to develop do you switch gears and go with the other guy in Drew Pine who's been injured the last couple of weeks? Well, so if you focus it purely off of the performance of the first two weeks, 15 points on offense in the game against Oklahoma State last week, 24 against, I'm drawing a blank of who, Southern Utah in week a one. Not and that was great a great team from the FCS. <laughs> it was a very weird game, too. There was a two and a half hour delay that hit right at halftime. Only three points scored after the second half. half of, didn't even start until close to eleven thirty. So whether you want to blame external factors on that, that's on you. But then to go out the second week and put up zero in the second half after putting together two pretty solid touchdown drives in the first half doesn't necessarily give me a lot of confidence about the direction of the offense. At the same time, I'm trying to remind myself, Jaden Rashad is a true freshman. Yep. Jaden Rashada maybe wasn't going to be given the starting job right away. And again, I'm just speculating here. Circumstance might have played into Rashada being named the starter for the first two weeks. And Kenny Dillingham never initially closed the door on Rashada being the one and only starter at QB. He kind of left it open that if Pine was healthy enough to return, because Pine seemed to be the favorite coming out of camp, that if Pine was healthy enough to return, he was probably going to be the guy. And they could decide whether or not he's the guy as soon as this this evening, tonight. Maybe he starts tonight. Maybe it's Rashada still. Who knows? Rashada, by the way, 34 for 60. That's a 57% completion rate. It's not, okay. Not great. It's okay. 403 yards in two games. By my math, that's about 200 yards a game. Mm-hmm. Not great. Three touchdowns, one interception. That's that's fine. Uh, for a rating of 126, which I'm led to believe is fine. That's okay. Yeah, that's good. It's pretty standard numbers for a quarterback. It's not bad. It's not great. Do you need to make a quarterback change? How do you feel about the leadership coming from Jaden Rashada, who is a freshman? Does he have the locker room support? I think he does. Would Drew Pine have more of it? Do you need to test Drew Pine just to see what you've got? Or can you get enough of a glimpse of that in practice? These are the things that Kenny Dillingham and his staff have to evaluate. At the same time, how many of those types of, let's call them games, how many types of those kinds of games do you want to play this year when you're already self-imposed out of postseason play? How how important is it, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put words into their mouth, but how is it, how important is it for you to make sure that you try and go out there and win every single game? I know that they're going to say that, yes, winning is the most important thing. But if you're not going to be going to play beyond the U of A game later this year, you want to have a good idea of what your team's going to look like next year in a brand new conference, too. Both of them have a chance to come with Arizona State to the Big 12, the, um, the both of them being Pine and Rashada. But who do you want more? And who do you think is more valuable to hold on to in the next year? That's kind of how I look at it at this point. Part of the equation, too, is how these young quarterbacks respond if you do, in fact, choose somebody over them, mm-hmm. it was it, it's 
said something specific to me that Borgay decided to come back despite knowing that Kenny Dillingham was on his way. He was going to bring his own quarterbacks and he was going to have another plan. Right. Uh, it says something about the maturity of the young man that he chose to do that anyway and fight for that position. And he still is, by the way. And it says something to me uh, when Drew Pine transfers here from a big school like Notre Dame, even though it was not a lock that he was going to be starting in week one. And he didn't, mostly because of injury, but also there's a debate here. Uh, Rashada came with a lot of fanfare, and that's a player that was getting NIL money and a guy who was like, I need an opportunity. That was part of the reason he chose not to go to Florida was he didn't feel he was going to get that opportunity. Mm -hmm. So you have to factor into the equation. If we go with Drew Pine this week, how is Jaden Rashada going to respond to that? Is he going to fight through it and he's going to go into practice on Monday and he's going to be battling back for that position that he lost? Or is he going to sulk and look to transfer again? And I'm not saying that he will. I'm just saying you have to you have to think about this. the likelihood is there is the problem. And my wonder is if Rashada already went through something like this with a different university and eventually settled here. Why would he risk that same experience he got from Florida happening again if he tries to go somewhere else? Now, he has every right to do so. But I would think, given the experience he had trying to get NIL out of Florida went the way that it did, the safest option, at least for another year, would be to remain with Arizona State. Here's the other factor that I worry about. I worry about the NCAA getting in the way. We've seen how they've handled players who transferred for, a, a, I believe it's a third time within their collegiate uh, eligibility. Tez Walker with UNC not eligible to play. Even here locally, Xavion Alford, who is a corner transfer, and Jake Smith, a wide receiver, they're not eligible to play because the NCAA invented a rule after these guys had already transferred and then implied the new or applied the new rule on these transfers. And it's not just those three. There's plenty of other transfers that are getting screwed over by this, and it's really driving me nuts, personally. And how much of sitting out for a year is worth it At the collegiate level, like it's almost more incentivizing at this point to stay where you're at and try and fight for that opportunity to start and that opportunity to earn more NIL. If you had to guess, how do the quarterback snaps go tonight for ASU? Who's playing the most at quarterback? I had to guess. I wonder if they go with Drew Pine because they liked what they saw out of him out of camp. And never really got the opportunity to, to showcase that. I wonder if there's a chance that they start with Rashada and move to Pine. Not in a benching kind of way. Sure. But in a, hey, no matter what the score is on the scoreboard, we're going to give Drew the second half. And treat week three kind of like it's a week one. You know, you see that in week one all the time. Yeah. I feel like uh, Alabama's been going through that with a quarterback situation where they're like, listen. They announced just- a new quarterback for this weekend. Right. Yeah. They're like, listen, we just got to figure out who's who's going to be. And plenty of schools go through that in the first couple of weeks. ASU just couldn't do it because of Drew Pine's injury. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if tonight is one of those games where, hey, let's start with Rashada. He's still our starter. We still have confidence in him. And even if he plays well, we can switch to Drew Pine and see what we got there as well. I wouldn't be shocked. This Fresno State team, their quarterback, speaking of quarterbacks, Mikey Keene, local products, went to Chandler, started out at UCF, played a couple of good seasons there, played a few games at UCF, transfers to Fresno State this year. 
has emphasized that this is where he wanted to be, was even asked about not getting recruited by ASU or any of the Pac-12 schools out of high school. And that was a dude that never lost in high school, by the way. Chandler's a pretty good program in high school, if you haven't checked. We, we talk with Kevin McCabe about it a lot. I wonder how motivated he is to try and, you know, quote-unquote, prove the doubters in his hometown or near his hometown. Worth noting, by the way, while we're talking about local quarterbacks, LSU's quarterback, Jaden Daniels, former mm-hmm. ASU, transferred to LSU. Uh, they're one and one right now, but they're up 41 to seven against Mississippi State. Uh, Jaden Daniels just waltzed into the end zone a couple of minutes ago for his own rushing touchdown. Today, can I read you his line? Sure. 30 for 34, 361 yards, two touchdowns. He's run, he's ran the ball 15 times, 64 yards, two touchdowns. Four total touchdowns over 400 yards total. And they are just starting the fourth quarter. And no signs of them taking him out yet. Jaden Daniels is, he's a beast. Forks up, am I right? <laughs> he's among, a, among other things. He's that been r- a beast with LSU. It's another enough, animal for among sure. Among other things that are close enough to rhyming with uh, forks. So if I say forks, with emphasize it, uh, look, ASU fan, bitter. I'll move on. Do the next thing. Speaking of former Valley football players, how are Cardinals fans going to feel when Isaiah Simmons returns to Glendale tomorrow? We'll dive into that next on Arizona Sports Saturday.